Well, I'm excited today because I get to launch a brand new series uh, called Know Your Enemy. Yeah, one of the things I believe uh, with all of my heart is that Christ has redeemed us to live a victorious life. Amen? He called us to live a victorious life. In fact, I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 when he's talking about the fact, he said, you know, you're going to have persecution, you're going to have trouble, but can any of these things separate you from the love of God? And he says no, and he goes on to say, you know what, For we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Bible gives us incredible promises like that. Paul said in Philippians, he said, you know what, I can do all things through this Christ who gives me the strength. Do you believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ that you really are an overcomer? If you do, here's the question I want to ask. Then why do we not live more victoriously than we do? If if the Spirit of God really does indwell us as believers and this power of Christ lives in us, if what Paul says is true then why is it that we often struggle in our walk of faith? Why is it we struggle when persecution comes or problems come if we have victory? You know, why is it that we, you know, that we, we, we're overcome by temptation? Why is it that we're, we, we deal with all of this? Why does that happen? Well, I think there are probably lots of reasons, but I want to I delve into one over the next few weeks that I hope will really help you, and it's this. I believe one of the reasons that we struggle sometimes in our journey of faith is that we don't understand our enemy. We don't understand this one that we are up against. Um, what, we, what we know uh, in, in sports, I mentioned this last week, but what we know in sports is, you know, if you're going to play a team, the better you can understand that team, the more effective you will be in, in knowing how to defeat them in the same way in our walk of faith. And what I realized when I was thinking about this series is I've never done a series on the devil. I've never done a series on the enemy. And I think just as we need to understand God and who he is in Christ and who he is and what he can do, I think it'll be helpful for us to understand the enemy. Now, I just want you to get this, please. This is not a series that's designed to make you afraid. I don't want you to be in fear. In fact, again, the Bible tells us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? And, and, and I don't want you, I'm, this is not a series about being afraid. It's not a series to intimidate you. This is not about scaring you at all. This is a series about making you wiser in how you live out your faith. And I think, I really think that this series is going to provide some answers for you as to why do certain things happen the way that they do? Why do certain things trigger me the way that they do? Why, do, why are there certain things that I can seem like I can win over here, but I can't win over there, and I think a lot of it has to do with this enemy. So, if you have your, just want to take your sermon outline out of your worship folder. If you like to take notes, you can do that. We'll throw everything up on on the screen for you. I want to I want to start today, uh, just kind of as in an introduction uh, to set this series up. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, there are things that the enemy doesn't want you to know. And I thought of several, but I just want to give you four big banners that we're going to be talking about in this series. Here's the first one. He is real. He is real. 
And the reason I need to say that out loud is that all the surveys have shown that even people who claim to be Christ followers, that there are a lot of people who really don't believe that there's a devil. They want to believe there's a God. They just don't want to believe that there's a devil. But yet the Bible talks openly about the enemy. Um, and, and if you look at this world around you, uh, it's, it's not hard to see you know, evil at work. And you got to answer the question, well, where does that evil come from? If you go to the Gospels, Jesus talks about the enemy over and over again. Well, if Jesus talks about the devil, I tend to think he's probably real. That makes sense to you? I tend to think he's probably real. In fact, I love this quote. I saw this and I thought, this is so good. Throw that up on the screen for me. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist, that he doesn't exist. And I think that's true because as long as you believe that the devil is some guy in a red suit with a long pointy tail and you know, some horns and a pitchfork, as long as that's your image of the devil, guess what? He can work in all kinds of ways that you won't even see coming. He's real. Secondly, listen very carefully to this. The devil doesn't want you to know that he is very subtle. He is very subtle. Now, here's what I mean by that. When we talk about dealing with the enemy, if you are a Christ follower, what you're going to discover is that usually the devil doesn't tempt you to take some big leap away from the faith. I mean, rare is the occasion that the devil would say, you know, I I just want you to deny there's a God. I want you to deny that there's a Jesus. I want you to just say that the Bible isn't true. We we usually don't find ourselves moving away from God in big leaps like that. But do you know how he does work? In little steps. In little steps. Every every once in a while, I'll have uh, be talking with someone in my office who um, is you know have maybe gotten to a, a real low place in their life and they've been dealing with all kinds of stuff and and they've kind of gotten deeper and deeper into the mess. And every once in a while, I'll have someone say, Pastor Z, I just don't know how I got here. I don't know how I got to this place. And and I can answer that question. You know how you got here? Like this. One little step at a time. Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy kind of, kind of works in a ways and asks us not to take a big leap away from God, but maybe just compromise a little bit, or, or maybe just give in a little over here, or, or maybe just cut a corner over there, or maybe just give up, you know, maybe just you know, kind of get away from you know, leaning into God and all that. And, and one, then one day you stop and you look back and you go, man, how did I, how did I get here? One little subtle step at a time. You know, one of, the, uh, one of the sermons in this series that I'm doing is called Sneaky, Sneaky, Sneaky. And, and that's how he works, in very sneaky ways. Amen? You, you get this. The third, third thought I, I want to give you is that the devil doesn't want you to know that he is deceptive. He is deceptive. You know, Jesus, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. What a great statement. In other words, how can you tell if the devil is lying? Well, his mouth is moving, you know? If he's talking to you, you can be pretty well assured it's a lie or it's, it's a half-truth or, or whatever because he is so stinking deceptive. And I'm going to be talking about in this series about how the lies that the devil te- t- tell us, how those lies impact our lives and our relationships. Just think this thought with me for a second. You know, you know those awful thoughts you had about your spouse this last week? Yeah. Some of you are going, how do you know? How do you know? Because yeah. I'm married. I, you know, I, I get this. 
What if those thoughts weren't true? What if those thoughts that we get that begin to drive a wedge between us and our spouse, what if those thoughts are actually the enemy twisting things in our mind to make us see our spouse a certain way? And we're going to talk about how the enemy uses lies and deceptions like that to get us to believe lies as truth. And the day that we begin to believe that this lie is the truth, we begin to act that way. Does that make sense? Let me give you one more. Something else the devil doesn't want you to know. This is what we're going to spend time on this morning. Is he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. I want you to look at our passage of scripture today is from John chapter 10. And this is Jesus really summing up the end game. And you say, well, Pastor Steve, what in the world is the devil up to? What, what is he trying to do in my life? What's he trying to do in this world? Jesus was really clear. John 10, verse 10, read it out loud with me, would you? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I want you to look at the contrast that Jesus uses here. Because what Jesus, why Jesus came from heaven to earth is to give us life, to give us abundant life, to restore this fallen nature that, that has crushed our lives. And he wants, to, he wants to breathe into this, this new life that God has to offer. But what you have to understand is the first part of that verse. Jesus said, do you get what the devil is up to? He's in this world. He wants to steal everything he can take from you. He wants to kill everyone that you know. He wants to destroy every part of your life. He wants to destroy you physically. He wants to destroy you relationally. He wants to destroy you in your journey with God. And we've got, to, we've got to take a step back and say, you know what? We've got to understand that this enemy that we're dealing with, that's his end game. That's what he's up to. Does this make sense to you? And so I, I, when I was working on it this week, I thought, okay, if, if, if the devil, that's really his end game, then what does that say to us? How should we respond knowing that this devil is out to kill us? How, how should we respond? Can I give you four thoughts? I'll try to give them to you pretty quick. Here's the first one. First thing is this. We need to take him seriously. We need to take him seriously. If you treat the enemy as a joke, he'll kill you. Now, this is Oklahoma. We like our guns in Oklahoma. In fact, you know, I, it's so interesting. I, I got pastor friends all across country, and they always talk about, you know, shooters coming in into their church. And we, you notice we'll have a police officer on duty, all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I've had to talk to the pastor. I said, you know what? I told my board, I'm not nearly as, as, as afraid of a shooter coming in the room as I am of the rednecks in the audience who... <laughs> who are going to be pulling out their guns and getting to kill everybody in the crossfire. You know, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. I said, I guarantee you 90% of my audience are packing every Sunday morning. You know, I'm more worried about that. Well, one of the, one of the things, if you, if, you, if you deal with guns, if you have a gun or you've been trained, one of the things you understand is this. The day you disrespect that gun and you don't handle it properly, it'll kill you. 
Amen? So you take that seriously. The same way when we're dealing with the enemy, because we know what he's up to, we've got to step back and say, what, this isn't a joke. He's not a myth. This guy is real, and he is really up to something. Let me me show it to you this way. This is a great visual. Throw that picture up on the screen. This is a a couple I was just reading about. Last month, uh, this couple, uh, the girl on the right, her name is Jaron Hare. And uh, the, the guy beside her, that is her, her boyfriend, or at least was, was her boyfriend, uh, Charles Darnell. They were just released from prison last month. Uh, they served nine years of a, of a 12-year sentence uh, for negligent homicide involving, throw that next picture up, their daughter. This beautiful two-year-old little girl um, was killed while she slept by her mother's pet. Throw that next picture up. That was her mother's pet. It is uh, an albino python, eight foot, six inches long. Throw that next picture up on the screen. You can see it. This was when they were taking it out. Now, what was interesting is when they woke up on that July morning in 2009 and found this snake wrapped around the neck of their two-year-old daughter. This snake, this snake was literally trying to eat their two-year-old little girl. What the police discovered when they were called to the scene and they, they, were, they were interviewing the, 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 the mother and this, her boyfriend, and as they were drilling them on this, what, what they discovered was this, that this snake was kept in a, in a little pen that all it had over it was a quilt. And they had a couple of safety pins in it. And what they, what they found out was that this snake had actually gotten out five different times during the two weeks prior to when it killed their, their, their daughter. And, and the, they, the police were saying, you know, did you feed it? And they said, well, we hadn't fed it in quite a while, which was probably why the snake was getting out. And, but the mother, the mother kept saying, but it's my pet. It's my pet. It was my pet. No, look at me. It's a snake. It's a snake. It's a snake. And, and when, when, they, when, the, when, the, when the defense attorney tried to plead the case about, you know, it was the snake's fault, the judge said, the snake is not on trial here. The snake did what snakes do. The problem was they didn't take this snake seriously. And the day you don't take our snake seriously I promise you, he'll wrap his coils around you and try to devour you. That's how he is. In fact, look at the passage of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Read it out loud. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Second thought I would give you is this. Not only do we need to take him seriously, but we really need to guard ourselves carefully. We really need to guard ourselves carefully. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Read that bold part on on your outline. Read that out loud with me, would you? If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, don't get cocky. You know, in this journey of faith, don't get cocky. If you think you're standing strong, that's wonderful. Stand strong, but be careful. 
Why? Because this enemy is, is out there, and you need to be careful in how you live. He goes on to say, the temptations in your life, they're no different from what others ex- experience, and God is faithful, and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. What, what's Paul saying? I put the statement on your outline. God will do his part, but we have to do ours. Does that make sense? God will do his part, but we have to do ours. In other words, do you know where the places are in your life that the enemy is going to attack? Um, I was reading an article a couple weeks ago. It was on, on the Great Wall of China, and it was just, it's always fascinating to me when I see these, these, these incredible uh, architecture across the world. And throw that picture up on the screen. Some of you have seen these pictures of the Great Wall of China, built over the course of like 1,500 years, it stretches 5,000 miles, 20-foot-high wall. What's interesting is they, they actually built this wall um, as a deterrent to their enemy. And, and in many ways, it worked, but in some ways, it didn't. And in the article, I thought it was so fascinating, uh, it, it, it said this. It said, but the Great Wall was not always effective. Genghis Khan and his armies had no trouble invading uh, the Chinese territory, nor did various other tribes who attacked from the north. And it talked about how it did but listen to this. He said the Tangits in 1002 were able to cross the wall easily by filling in the trenches. Now, the wall has trenches beside it. <coughs> it said by filling in the trenches along its length, when they noticed that the guards of the Song Dynasty that were up there, when they weren't paying attention. In other words, the enemy were watching, and when the guards were busy doing whatever else they were doing, they would come and fill the trenches in until they built the rampart up high enough where they could actually cross the wall. And then they talked about, they said, one incident, that incident points to a key weakness in the Great Wall. Don't miss this. It said, defensive fortifications are only as good as the people manning them. This would prove true on more than one occasion during the Great Wall's history. In other words, for example, in 1644, the Ming Dynasty was betrayed by the invading Manchu forces by a turncoat general who simply let the enemy in through a gate. Now, it's just a question. But if your desire is to really be a fully committed Christ follower, if you really want to grow and become the man and woman of God he's called you to be, you really need to sit and unpack this question. And here it is. Where are your weak places on the wall? Where are your vulnerable points? What is it that you know about you as the places where the enemy is going to attack? We're all wired differently. We're all tempted by different things. We all deal with different things. Because what I can assure you is this. The enemy is going to try to exploit you at your highest points of viability or vulnerability. Does that make sense? He's going to try to exploit you at your highest points of vulnerability. We need to guard ourselves carefully. Let me give you a third one. When you do see the enemy kind of nosing his way in, when you do realize you have opened a door, we need to stop him quickly. We need to stop him quickly. In other words, Maybe one day you realize, wow, you know what? I never really thought about this, but this attitude that I'm developing is, is really drawing me away from God, and it's making me less of who I want to be, or this habit that I've allowed in my life 
it's, it's beginning to deteriorate my relation. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize, you know what? I've, I've made room for the enemy in my life. So what am I going to do? You need to shut that door quickly. You need to shut that door quickly. I, I put this statement. You've, you probably have heard this before, but I, I love this because you know, it's so true. It says, the devil will take you farther than you want to go. He will keep you longer than you want to stay, and he will cost you more than you want to pay. Can anybody say, yeah, been there, done that. Been there, done that. Right. Let, me, let me explain it to you this way. How many of you, uh, how many of you went to the state fair? Anybody? Come on, hold a hand. Don't be embarrassed. How many of you ate too much funnel cake? Yeah. <laughs> really interesting. Um, throw that picture up on the screen. This guy's name is Henry. Uh, he's from New Hampshire. And a few years ago, Henry went to a, uh, a carnival uh, up in New Hampshire. And as he was, he had a little baby, and he was, as he was walking around, he started playing, you know those games where you pay a little money and you can try to win something? How many of you have ever done that? Yeah. How many of you have ever spent way too much money at one of those? Well, that's what Henry did. Henry was playing this game, I think it was called Tubs of Joy, and where you throw these balls into these tubs. And he, he, that one of the prizes that day, if you got the balls in, was a, uh, an Xbox Connect that I think was worth like $100 about that time if you bought it new. Well, Henry, Henry played, and he lost. And he played, and he lost. And he played, and he lost, and he played, and he lost, and he played, and he lost, and he played, and he lost until he ran out of money. $300 he had spent. $300. Yeah, you could buy one for $100. He spent $300. But now you, now you guys get this. How many, how many competitive people do we have here? Yeah, you, you get this. Now he has to beat it. You know what I'm saying? Now he has to beat it. And so being smart, what Henry said is, I'm going to go home, and what am I going to do? I'm going to bring back more money because now I know how to do this. Now I can. So he went and he got more money and he played and he lost 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 and he played and he lost, played and he lost. When it was all said and done, Henry spent $2,600, his entire life savings. Could you not? His entire life saving playing the tub of joy. Is that an appropriate name? The tub of joy? Now, you, you, you got to wrap your mind around this because isn't this exactly what the enemy does? Yo, play the game. Oh, I, I know it didn't turn out that way. Oh, play it again. Oh, now, you know, and you can just hear the enemy in, in Henry's ear going, oh, one more time. You know, you walk away. You're never going to get that money back. You know, you not, you can, you, this is your time. And you can, and that's, and that's what goes on. Play it again, play it again, play it again, play it again. Henry was so upset by the end of the day. The very next day, he went back to the carnival. He went back to that game and he was irate. And he said, this game is rigged. Well, duh, you know. Proves you're a genius, Henry, you know. You figured it out. Now you caught us. You know, it's, it's rigged. You're not, you know, and, and, and they felt bad. This guy spent $2,600, and the guy who was there said, man, I know you spent all that money and, and I know that, but, you know, we can't just, re, re, you know, give you all that money back. But I'll tell you what, we don't want you to walk away empty-handed. Throw that next picture up on the screen. They gave him, you know. Kid you not. They gave him a stuffed banana with dreadlocks. Not a bad deal for $2,600. <laughs> okay, come on, it's just us. 
I promise you there are more than a few of us in this room that have walked down that road with the enemy where he kept telling us this was gonna, this is what we're looking for. This is what you really want. Just do this, do this, do this. And, and we walked and we walked and we walked. In the end, it did not give us what we were looking for. And we end up realizing we spent a good part of our lives and a good part of our soul on a stuffed banana with dreadlocks because he never gives you what he promises. Amen? Now, look at me. just want you to hear my heart. We're all human. There are times we struggle, and if we're honest, there are times we open the door and we do allow the enemy in. But I'm going to tell you, the moment that you know you've let the enemy in, honey, kick him out and shut the door. Amen. Let me give you one last one. If you know the enemy, is, if, if we know the enemy is out to destroy us, then one of the things we really need to do is we need to prepare ourselves adequately. We need to prepare ourselves adequately. Now, I'm going to talk about this in detail next Sunday uh, as I talk about this idea that the best defense is a good offense. And I'm going to be talking about how we really need to equip ourselves. But here's what I want you to understand. For many of us, we're, we're going to be, end up walking into territory we've never been in before along the life's way. And we need to make sure that we are prepared for this journey ahead and that we are prepared adequately for the enemy that we're going to face. Look at me. I, I know what you're thinking, but I'm going to tell you you're wrong. You're not nearly as strong as you think you are. And you are not nearly as good as you think you are. All you got to do is open the scripture and you'll discover guys like David, who the Bible said had a heart after God, had a, had a heart just like God had, a man after God's own heart, and yet he failed dramatically. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to us. And we need to be prepared for that war. Some of you may have seen this. Anybody see in the news last week about the race, the ultra marathon that they were doing in Utah uh, called the, the DC Peaks? Anybody seen about that in the news? Throw that picture up on the screen. It's an ultra marathon. It, it was a 50-mile run. Anybody ever done a 50-mile run? Yeah. 50-yard run? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> done that. The ultra marathon. Now, these people who do this crazy stuff, these are, I mean, these are Stellar athletes, they, they're going to be, and you see the picture, you know, they're going to do this, this down there, and they were all excited about it. This just happened last Saturday, a week ago yesterday. And uh, when, when, they, when they were announcing to the runners, when they were telling them how to prepare, they said, there's going to be some, some you know, some, perhaps some light rain, so you might want to bring some light rain gear. Now, when you're a runner, you know, you want to be as light as possible, so you don't want a lot of heavy clothing. And, but, you know, some of them, you know, you might want to bring rain jacks or whatever. Now, think this thought with me for a second. They're running in Utah, which is a mountainous region. They're starting the race at about 4,800 feet elevation, and they're going to be going up through the mountain. They're, they're going to elevate another 8,000 plus feet as they run. Now, I am not a smart man. I don't want to hear one amen out of that. No, just... But when you go up a mountain and you've got rain at the bottom, as you get higher, what happens to the temperature? It drops. And what happens to the rain? Okay. 
You guys, you guys figured this out. They didn't figure this out. Throw that next picture up on the screen. So here they are in their light rain gear. Now it's beginning to snow. The snow turns into a blizzard. Throw that next picture up on the screen. This was the first, this was the first aid station about 13 miles in where you could stop and get a, get a cold glass of water, you know. <laughs> And, and you know, you can see they're all gathered around in there. They're, they're freezing. And the, most of these people, some of them had jackets, but most of them just had shorts and T-shirt. And they're running in there. The temperatures have plummeted. It snowed 18 inches. 18 inches. The, the trail is gone. There are people everywhere. Search and rescue went out. There were 87 runners in this altar marathon. And every single one of them had to be rescued off the mountain. All 87 None of them were prepared for this. Throw that next picture up on the screen. This is a guy, one of the runners that is being put in. He was wrapped in stuff to keep his body warm, and they were putting him in the, in the, uh, the four-wheel drive to, to get him off of the mountain because he was, he was dying. He was literally dying up there. They weren't prepared. Now, here's all I want to say to you. If, if you think you can take the enemy on by yourself, you're wrong. He's been at this game a long, long time. He's smarter than us. He's better than us. He, he's, he's, he's more deceptive. He's not greater than the one within us, though. And so what that means to us is if, if we're going to adequately prepare, we need to lean into God like never before. I love what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 5, 9. Would you read it out loud with me? This is from the Passion Translation. Take a decisive stand against him, the devil, and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. Read those last three words again. Strong, vigorous faith. Does that describe the faith that you have? You know, if you have a, a casual relationship with God or a weak relationship with God, you are easy prey for the enemy. He's coming at us, Peter says, like a roaring lion. And the way we're going to have to deal with him is with a strong, vigorous faith. Now, here's the good news. Last statement that's there on your outline. It says this. The enemy only has as much power in our lives as we give him. He only has as much power in our lives as we give him. James says, we'll come back to this verse, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. What will God do? God will draw near to you. And so my, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you today is realize that there's an enemy out there and he wants to destroy your life. And don't believe for a moment you can do this on your own. And this morning, what, what I would like to do, I'd just like to have a few moments where we just take just a, a small part of worship and just say, God, I need you. I, I want to be the man or woman of God that you've called me to be, but I can't do this out of my own strength. And Rachel's going to lead us in this song. It's just a, it's just, just a beautiful chorus. And I just want you to make this your personal time of worship. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, 
I want to encourage you to do that today. That enemy out there, he does want to destroy you. But Jesus wants to be your savior. He wants to be your protector. He wants to be your guide through life. If you've never invited him in today, just open your heart to him. Tell him how much you need him. And I promise you, in his love, he will come running to you. But if you have invited Christ to be your savior, take a moment this morning and just pray this prayer. Lord, fill me afresh and anew with your power, with your strength, with your wisdom. Father, we humble our hearts today, and that's our prayer. We need you. Uh, we're smart enough to know, oh God, that, um, that this enemy that we face is bigger than us, stronger than us, smarter than us. But he's not bigger, stronger, or smarter than you. And Father, I pray that you would help us today to open our hearts completely and allow you to fill us afresh and new with the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I have no doubt that uh, for some of us, there are doors that we've been opening to the enemy, places where we've been allowing him in, into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds. And God, I pray that as you reveal those to us today, that you would help us by the power of your grace to shut those doors and to shut it and lock it and seal it and, and allow you, oh God, to be the guide of our life. Father, I pray specifically for those maybe today that have never surrendered their life to you, who have been trying to do life all on their own. And Lord, they're battered, they're beaten, they're tired. They realize they can't do this. Well, you never intended for us to do it. We can't be fully who you've created us to be until you live within us. And so this morning, Lord, we open our hearts to you. We confess, Lord, our need for you. Let your spirit come. Fill us up to overflowing. And may we walk in the fullness of the grace and power that only you can provide. Lord, we love you. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.